welcome to Just an Ordinary Girl. I'm your host. My husband calls me babe, my kiddos call me mama, but you can call me Stevie. I'm Just an Ordinary Girl, helping listeners find the extraordinary life through the extraordinary God. Thank you for joining me on this week's podcast. Today, let's talk about parenting. Now, I found a few sillies on the internet that would let you know if you are, in fact, a parent. So let's see how many of you can identify with this. I have a ton. I'll post more on the Facebook page. Don't worry. So you know you're a parent when you celebrate BMs, and you know what a BM is, BMs with a poop dance. I was asked one time, what is a poop dance? If you've potty trained a child, you know what a poop dance is. Anyway. You know you're a parent when you use the word potty, even when you're speaking to adults. When you've used the phrase, oh good, it's just vomit. (laughs) If you've found yourself swaying or rocking when there is no child in your arms. Now I do this every time I hear a baby cry. It's like automatic instinct now. You know you're a parent if you catch yourself watching Disney Junior when there are no kids in the room. Miska, Muska, Mickey Mouse. We all know it, right? You know you're a parent when you can tell what's wrong just by the way that your child cries. I literally took my daughter into the doctor once and said I thought she broke her arm. And when he said, why did I think so? I said, I could tell by her cry. Yeah, I was right. (laughs) You might be a parent if sleeping until 7 a.m. is sleeping in. If you've tried to hide while eating a snack because you didn't want to share. If you've belted out the Frozen song alone in the car, you know you're a parent when you have never been so frustrated and so in love with one small person before in your life. And you know you're a parent when you can feel super accomplished one minute and like a complete failure the next. This last one brings me to my topic today. I've had quite a few, more than three, conversations this past week with some of my favorite mothers about how they just feel like they're failing. I've been there. I'm assuming if you're a parent at all, you've been there too. So what do we do with this feeling? Is it possible to be a failure when there's no way that you can completely control the outcome? Now, I don't know about dads, but the moment a woman finds out she's pregnant, something happens in her brain. It never shuts off again. No matter how you push things out, no matter how busy you become with life that doesn't pertain to your kids, your mind is still on your kids. Rarely do you go a full hour without having some type of thought about one of them. This happens right away. You start asking, am I eating enough for the baby to grow right? I wonder what kind of personality the baby's going to be born with. I wonder what he'll look like. And then it moves to... Have they been sleeping too long? Should I wake the baby? Shouldn't the baby be sleeping more? Should I do the cry it out method or the baby wise? Or how do I baby proof? And that's happening all while trying to work or enjoy a movie or fall asleep. But none are as time consuming or loud as the thoughts of am I doing enough for them? Am I failing my child? I recently saw a meme on social media that said being a parent is like jumping out of a plane with a bunch of people who don't know how to open their chutes. So you fly around as fast as you can, buckling everyone in. Then you hit the ground, but you don't die. You get up and you cook dinner. Isn't that the truth? We worry and we worry, 
that there rarely seems enough time to get things right or to succeed before the next big thing happens and there's always dinner to put on the table. I'd like to share with you something that God spoke to me about many years ago and it was more as my role as a pastor's wife than a mother but it has carried me through many parenting moments as well. God defined for me the difference between guilt and conviction. Now guilt is when you've done something wrong and you cannot change it. Say I broke a dish. I feel so guilty about it. It was my mom's favorite dish. But all I can do about that is say sorry and move on. If I live in this definition, there is no remedy. Saying a heartfelt sorry and choosing to be more careful next time is all that I can really do. I cannot actually put the broken plate back together perfectly like it was before. And if the other person cannot accept my apology, there is nothing more that can be done. At that point, it's no longer my issue. It's theirs. God does not desire for you to walk around with guilt. I'm going to come back to this, but just so you know, guilt is not something from God. Conviction, however, is. Conviction is when God reveals something to you that you're doing wrong with a desire for you to change it. This is a wrongdoing that you can fix. You maybe can't fix damages already done, but you can walk forward not doing it again. You cannot feel convicted about breaking a plate, but you can be convicted about being careless, so you fix the carelessness. You cannot go back and fix the plate. My fourth-born son has really bad teeth. The first time we noticed this, the dentist said that he had many cavities. Now, my entire life, I thought cavities meant bad things. I mean, you always get a praise if you don't have cavities, right? So I was shocked. I mean, I went most of my life without any. My older kids didn't have any. I was still brushing his teeth at the time, so I instantly felt guilty. The dentist explained that the baby's teeth actually form in the last trimester of their, of their time in the womb, all the way up to about 28 to 42 days after birth. So he asked if I was sick or if the baby had been sick during that time, and yes, indeed, my youngest had been hospitalized at 26 days old with a really high fever. The doctor said, aha, well that's most likely it. The teeth weren't formed or they were damaged during that high fever. So the poor boy has had six fillings already and is scheduled for two more. He even has some discolorization of his baby teeth and may have special dental work that he has to get done on his permanent teeth. I felt so guilty. But what can I do? Logically, now if I were your friend and I was sitting beside you crying about how guilty I felt you would probably give me some advice. You would try to cheer me up. You most likely would say, there's nothing you can do about that now. You aren't really even to blame. You couldn't have kept him from getting sick, right? And honestly, even if I had not kept him covered up enough and maybe he went out in the cold and he caught a cold and ended up getting sick when he was 26 days old, is there anything I can do at this point to remedy that? No. So walking around with guilt for over nine years is something that I can't control and it's just futile and damaging to me and my spirit. God's not calling me to repent and change what cannot be changed. However, I believe many parents out there are doing just this. They're beating themselves up over something they cannot change nor control. 
One of my favorite moms is dealing with issues with child number five out of seven. The boy is 17 and is rebelling and choosing his own path against what he's been taught. It's devastating. There's nothing worse than seeing your child make choices that you know will lead them further away and feel there's nothing that you can do about it. Watching someone you care about self-destruct is stressful. Watching someone that you truly love so much like your child self-destruct is heartbreaking. But heaping failure and guilt all on top of an already huge hill will cause you to go insane. I mentioned last week that it wasn't until I became a parent that I was aware of the ease within me to yell at my children. Like I said before, these amazing kids God gave us are the source of our greatest joy and also our greatest frustration sometimes. I felt convicted every time I yelled at my child or my children. I knew it was not what God wanted of me. And I'll venture out to say that a lot of you, it's not what God wants for you as a parent either. No human being on earth ever deserves to be yelled at in anger. Ever. Not a bad driver. Not a a grocery worker who rang up your groceries wrong. Not an inconsiderate neighbor. And never your children. Ever. And yet, I struggled with it. And full disclosure, I've done it too many times since God convicted me of it. Conviction is a call to action. So when God brought this to my attention, I needed to change it. This is the only time I feel that we can use failure in our vocabulary as a parent. In my attempts to stop yelling, I read books, I joined support groups, I self-monitored. I would write a heart on a calendar for days that I could go all day without yelling. And I'd put a tiny little X on days that I didn't. On days that I yelled and I put those X's on, I could see the progress that I was making. That's a huge motivator for me. But if I saw too many X's on the calendar in a row, I knew I had failed in my goal to stop yelling. But because I saw hearts too, I knew I was not a failure. God convicts us to get us to move in the right direction in our parenting. If he convicts you of sin, work on fixing it. But if you mess up, you're trying, not failing. You may have failed a day or two at a specific goal, but stop labeling and calling yourself a failure. Don't own that and live under that. God didn't name you that. It's a fine line, isn't it? How do we decide if God's convicting or if we're just feeling guilty? Satan loves guilt. It puts us down, it holds us there, and eventually we make it our permanent dwelling. Satan loves it because it takes our focus off of God and onto ourselves. And anything that Satan can do to get our focus on anything other than God brings him great delight. People can try to make you feel guilty, and when they do, take it as a chance for self-evaluation. Ask yourself if there's an ongoing behavior that you need to change. Of course, I felt guilty for yelling at my kids, so I apologize, and I work hard not to do it again. If I've gone years and no longer yell at my kids, and my kids say, you yelled at me, I I might react in shock. When? I can't go back and change the past. If they want to bring up times that I yelled at them when I was two, even if I haven't yelled at them in 20 years, that's not fair, right? I can't go back and change the past. All I can do is try to make it better going forward. Parent of adult children, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Sometimes your children are bent on blaming you for all their life's problems. Might I suggest you genuinely acknowledge your part in their pain, if you have a part in it. Apologize and then pray for your child's healing. There is no reason to live in the past. You can't go back to when they were eight and change things. 
to live in the past, to continually walk in that guilt, is going to hold you in bondage. If your adult child still wants to blame you, you may have to do some spiritual warfare on their behalf. But after you've apologized and validated their feelings, it's now on them. Now on a side note concerning this, I had some very rocky times with my birth dad. He had some real intense moments with me that he did not handle well. And because of it, we did not have a relationship. One day I received a phone call from a town that I used to live in. And even though I never answered the phone, this particular time I did. It must have been a God thing. On the other end of the phone was my birth dad. I hadn't spoken to him in over 20 years. I no longer even recognized his voice. He had to say his first and last name for me to know who it was. We made small talk, but eventually he said that he was sorry for what he had done to me. He went into some details concerning the events. He made no excuses, which I truly appreciate. But I cannot express to you the healing that happened in my heart over him expressing his apologies. I did not still blame him. I did not walk around and consider all the bad things in my life to be his fault. I even felt I had fully forgiven him. But there is power behind apologies and acknowledging that you've done wrong. I had an opportunity to tell him that I forgave him a long time ago because Jesus had forgiven me. I had a chance to tell him that Jesus had fulfilled all that I felt I lacked because of his absence. I could tell him I love him because God loves him. But within my own heart, I was truly free. I know adults who have been abused and have lived most of their lives with severe relationships with a parent. And when the parent dies, there's heartache when death comes before the apology. Even strong, healed adults. So if you've made mistakes in your past as a parent, please don't live in guilt. But do acknowledge those mistakes and commit to doing better. Tell the ones that you've wronged how sorry you are so that they can begin that healing process before it's too late. But don't allow Satan to place a yoke of guilt around your neck. If you're feeling guilty, do something. If there's nothing to do, let go of the guilt. Throw it off. Now, if your child is still at home but is being rebellious, it's fine to do some self-evaluations to see if there are things that you've done to contribute. Are you not disciplining correctly? Are you modeling rebellious behavior yourself? If I yell, my daughter's going to yell. If I approach her in a snarky, bad attitude way, she's going to fight back in the same manner. Is she at fault? Yes, absolutely. But I can choose to be a good example for her. I can approach her in love, speak to her respectfully, in a quiet voice. If I do that and she yells and is snarky back, is it reasonable for me to feel guilty about that? No. You all would tell me that if I came crying to you on your shoulder. So maybe it's time to have that talk with yourself. Remind yourself that sometimes it's not your fault. Yes, evaluate yourself. Pray the prayer that David prayed. Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along a path of everlasting life. Be honest with yourself and fix what is fixable. Apologize to your child and work at doing better. But don't beat yourself up when your child makes their own ways. I believe there is such a fine line in all of this that needs to be addressed. There are a few pitfalls that we can fall into if we're not careful. Pitfall number one, you can do just what I mentioned above. You can see your child misbehave. You can begin to feel exhausted in modeling correct behavior only to see them turn from it. And so you go on to God praying. Where have I gone wrong? 
but you repeat this over and over until you convince yourself that you're a failure and even God can't help you. Parents oftentimes try to evaluate themselves based on their child's behavior. Children's behavior is not always a litmus test for good parenting. God gave them their own journey. He equipped them with their own minds, their own wills, their own level of determination. As we parents can only do so much. We realize this once we are forced to begin to relinquish our control. There comes a point where you can't tie your 13-year-old's shoes anymore. You have to dust off your hands and say, hey, you tie them or you're going to trip. Now, I use simplify examples here, but you get what I'm saying. Sometimes you have to let them fall. When my oldest was five, now I want to say four or three just to save face here, but I'm sure it was five, I noticed a much, much younger child in our kids' church was drinking out of a cup, not a sippy cup. And I, yes, five, I realized that my five-year-old was still using a sippy cup. Was it his fault for not knowing how to drink out of a regular cup? No. It was mine for never letting him try. I literally had not let him try. Of course, he naturally just knew how, thank God. But now at 16, if he dribbles out of the side of his cup or spills completely because he haphazardly drinks out of his glass, I can no longer take the blame for that. It was less than five years ago that that same child was bringing me bags for me to open for him, chip bags, snack bags, when I finally said, no, I can't do this for you anymore. You're too old not to know how to open cereal boxes or chip bags. If you want it bad enough, you're going to figure out how to open it. It's not easy letting them go, letting them fail. But there will be times when we need to do that and their behavior does not reflect you as a parent. God has to get a hold of them so he can have a personal relationship with that child. And if God uses a few bumps and bruises along the way, we have to let it be. Pitfall number two comes in when we do approach God in prayer and ask for guidance, which we should be doing on a daily basis. And God does choose to point out some things that you are maybe doing wrong. He may tell you you're too harsh or you need to be more consistent or whatever it is that he wants you to do. You can walk away with guilt, unfortunately. He never intended to add one more thing to your plate. In reality, God was just fine-tuning you. You have to be careful of this pitfall so we don't spiral down into guilt. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Guilt is flesh behavior. Conviction is spirit behavior. And the Spirit wants to draw you closer to Him. So if He reveals an area you may need to pay attention to, count it as joy. You will be a better person because of it. Sometimes God's going to do a work in you, and you may not see that work in your child. Don't feel bad that God convicts you. Set in motion the changes. Hebrews 12:11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Be thankful for the conviction. And lastly, pitfall number three, and this is where the line gets so thin. Sometimes your child is acting out because of something wrong in your parenting. I hate even saying that. I hate that it sounds so blaming when we live in a society that wants to blame parents for everything. But the Bible does say for us to raise up a child in the way they should go. So clearly there is a way that God wants us to do it. 
And I 100% believe that when I stand before God on Judgment Day, how I raise my kids will be one of the things that I am held accountable to. God gave these children to us, and we are to care for them. If I abandon them, they will have trust issues, and that's going to be my fault. If I bully them, raise them as a dictator with little love and a lot of judgment, it would be my fault when they bully others at school. If I set unrealistic expectations and put them down when they can't meet those unrealistic standards, it would be my fault when they cannot be controlled. I recently asked my 14-year-old how I was doing. I asked her plain, plainly, do you think I'm doing a good job? I haven't. I have tried really hard not to yell. It's been a long time. I, I rarely even feel the, the need to raise my voice anymore. Is that coming across to you kids? And she said, well, it must be because I didn't even think I noticed it. But I do notice, and she said my younger daughter's name, she said, I notice that she is doing so much better with her anger. She rarely has outbursts anymore. God had put on my heart to seek after gentleness a while ago. I had made huge strides in not yelling at the kids, but he wanted me to fine-tune it even further and begin to change my tone, not just from snarky to polite, but literally a softer tone toward my one daughter specifically. It was a challenge. How do I manage a soft and gentle approach when a stern voice seems acceptable and my heart wants to be sterner? (laughs) But when I did it, she began mirroring me. Of course, we both slip up from time to time. We're human. But instead of saying things like, you didn't clean your room this week, no electronic time for you, which is perfectly fine. I didn't raise my voice. I didn't yell. But she would have met that tone and thrown it back at me, plus a bad attitude while cleaning, and perhaps the rest of the night she could have been in a sour mood. So instead I say, hey, hon, you didn't get your room clean today. Let's get that done, okay? And because it wasn't done yesterday like you were supposed to, I don't think you're going to get your electronic time today. I say it respectfully, maybe even approach her with a rub on the back as I say it, and suddenly she begins to change. Now, not every kid needs this. If I have to use a parent tone with the baby of the family, he's devastated. He would never yell at me, ever. But I've begun using the same tone with everyone in the house, and the house is calmer. Not saying I'm doing this parenting thing perfect at all, but what I'm trying to say is that there are times when your child's behavior is actually a direct result of your lack of modeling correct and godly behavior to them. As true as it is to say that a child's behavior is not always a litmus test of your parenting, it is just as true to say in certain times it is. Ephesians 6 4 says, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Harsh parenting produces harsh children. Controlling parenting produces stressful and even depressed children. Absent parenting produces irresponsible children. But loving parents produce loving children. Repentant parents produce forgiving children. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That is Proverbs 22. We don't always know when old will hit, so we might have to be patient for a while. But keep praying and let God fulfill this promise. And don't forget that part of God's plan is to let children have their own free will. If that child is bent on rebelling against God, you may feel the brunt of that. Fight that battle on your knees in prayer. I continue to say there is a fine line, and it seems parenting can't even be easy on paper. But I want to leave you with a few reminders. 
One, children grow to have their own sets of beliefs. Yes, the Bible tells us to raise them in the way they should go, and we should do that with every ounce of our being. But until they have a strong relationship with God themselves and choose to walk with Him themselves, they will choose their own path. We can only pray and stand on God's word that says they'll return to what they've been taught at some point. Two, if change is needed on your part, praise God. We are never going to be perfect people. If God isn't working in you daily, something's wrong. Embrace God's conviction, but don't walk in guilt. Make it a daily practice to ask God to search you and reveal in you what needs to be made right. Do something about conviction, but throw that guilt away. Three, you were chosen for this role as parents. God does not make mistakes. He placed these kids in your care. He must have felt you had the potential to be caregivers for these precious little ones who eventually grow up. Trust in his decision to do so and know that even when your children don't notice or don't appreciate all that you do for them, God sees you. And I'm sure you're doing better than you think you are. Next week, I really want to discuss how we can tell if we're doing things right. So please join me next week as well, not just for parents, although that's what's been on my heart lately, but for living in general. How do we know that we are not failing? How can we determine whether or not we truly are failures? But until then, just remember Proverbs 127, 3-5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. See you next week. I'm your host, Ordinary Girl Stevie.